Turning your Bibles to Genesis 25, we're continuing, of course, our study of the first book, really, of the Bible is Genesis, the book of beginnings. Let me remind you about the outline, really, of how we divided this. The book of Genesis is two big sections, you might say. Chapters 1 through 11 are four big events, creation, fall, flood, division. But then chapter 12 through 50 is four great people. It's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And that's what we've been seeing. The events in this section, we're really moving, in the second section, we're moving from Abraham to Isaac. And in reality, we're going to even see, you know, Isaac's son, Jacob. We're going to see... Uh, all of this. This evening, the change, it's, it's a, a lot of change. The death of Abraham, the death of Ishmael, the focus switching, switching from Isaac and then quickly to the birth of his two sons, Jacob and Esau. We'll see how all this happens. We won't get that far, but in this chapter, there's a lot of things there. Uh, one of the things we'll see, and, and we'll see just a touch on it tonight and more as we get through it in the next week or two, God's choosing of Jacob over Esau. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, uh, we're going to see their lives, their actions, their character. One sees life from a temporary view; other sees life from an eternal view. And God, in His sovereignty, chooses Jacob to be the one to whom the seed would come, the promise of the covenant would be carried on. We get a glimpse of God and His sovereign election. We'll see how these things tie in. And we want to gain from looking at the life of Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and all of these things. We want to understand God's working in, even in our lives, and I think we'll see some great stuff. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the chapter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for those songs. Thank you for each one that came tonight, just the fun that we have as we sing and we lift up our voices in praise and adoration and we study your word and Lord what a, what a great day we've had today thank you for this local body and, and this the love that we all feel for one another and, and uh, the fact that we're there for each other and we just thank you for that Lord as we look at uh, Genesis and we look at Abraham and Lord as we go through these books we, we, we know these people we, we, we just feel like we're there with them and when Abraham dies it makes us sad and, and when Sarah died we were sad and so Lord as we look at these lives may we, may we put our ourselves there. May we see what's going on. May we uh, learn from these things and make application in our lives. Most of all, Lord, we want uh, to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and to bring glory to him. Use this, Lord, for, for your glory. Teach us now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the word election is in here. Or, or the, we use the word. People say election. We see God choosing something. When we hear the word election, we often think of like a political election, candidates, and we have the right to choose. An election has an idea of a choice. People in America, we have the right to choose. When we look in the Bible, we see the word election. And the, the word electos really is, or electos means, means to choose, to make a choice. And uh, we find in the Word of God that God makes choices. He chooses. In our study of Genesis, we've seen God makes choices. From the first, He chose Abraham from all the people in the world to make a covenant with him. And we saw that from Abraham, He has chose Isaac over Ishmael. And this evening, as we continue, the promises, it comes through Isaac. Isaac has twin sons, and before they're even born, God chooses. He chooses Jacob. And sometimes we can see clearly God's election and his choices and why. And, and, and the truth is, sometimes we need to understand something, that God's choosing is not for salvation. Because we're going to see that people have to believe in Jesus Christ or have to believe in the coming Messiah for salvation. But God sometimes chooses not for salvation but for service. He chose Abraham to bring about his plan, Isaac to bring about his plan, Jacob and Esau to, to bring about the plan, and Pharaoh to bring about his plans. He chooses. And so we'll see as we go through the Scripture. Think about the choice of the nation of Israel. Why? Did he choose the nation of Israel for salvation? No. But for service, because every one of the Jewish people had to believe in the Messiah. They weren't saved because God chose them as a people group. In Galatians, Paul talks about God choosing him but it was to carry the message to the Gentiles. It was for service. So as we think, raise some questions. Why did God choose the nation of Israel? Why did he choose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? The answer, simply put, is because he chose them. That's why. He's sovereign. He does what he wants. He chose them to carry out his plan for service. And we'll see as we go through some of those things. And some of this, some of the things that we see in the Scripture, we don't have answers for. We don't have answers in the same way that sometimes we'd like to have answers. Because remember, we're finite and he's infinite. And just some things don't always add up the way we wish they did. We realize that even though God chose Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and the people group we call Israel, he chose them uh, to do 
and to carry out his plan, but he didn't choose them for salvation. Each Jewish person had to trust in the Messiah and Savior. The nation was chosen to carry out God's plan and purposes, and what were they? To give the word of God. You realize the word of God came to the Jewish people, and the Messiah came to the Jewish people. That's one of the purposes of choosing Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. This evening, as we look at this passage, we see God's choice of Jacob. Why did he choose him? What purpose? What purpose and what service? And as we study the passage, we bring to the close the life of Abraham and his son Ishmael. It's really a sad time. Sad time to me. You know, I, when I study this, I've told you all many times that when you study like the life of Christ or, or the Old Testament and you study these people, I, 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 I put myself there. I, I say I was with Abraham. I wanted to see what he did and when he went here. And so you get to know their lives and you think you know them. And we do know them. We know them through the pages of Scripture. And it is sad when they die. The man whom God made the covenant blessing, the covenant promise, the land, the seed, the blessing, all of that, he dies. It passes on to Isaac, and we'll see on into chapter 26 that God reminds Isaac of the promises, and they're the exact same promise, exact same promise. And from this passage this evening, we see the promise passes to one of Isaac's sons, uh, which is the twin sons, Jacob. And we see events from their lives uh, as we go through this. We see a prophecy even before they're born. We see as we look at their lives and their character in chapter 25, the selling of the birthright. We get an idea of what these men are like and the character. Let me break down the whole passage for you, the, the, the uh, section. We see the death of Abraham in 1 through 10, the events after Sarah's, after Sarah's death. Then we see the death of Ishmael, and we see a listing of his 12 sons. Then we see Isaac and his two sons. Get a little background there. And then there's the Jerusalem. Very rapidly in this passage, in this, this chapter, because at the very end we see the selling of the birthright and all of that, how it all fits together. So there's a, just a whole bunch of stuff in this, in this chapter, and uh, it's very powerful. We raise some questions as we think about it. What, what, do, what do you and I count as important? And what are we doing with our lives? How do we view God's sovereign election? How, do, how does it fit in our lives? Well, let's begin. Let's see the, the final days of Abraham. You know, it doesn't seem very long ago that we were reading where God picked this man by the name of Abram and chose him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and told him to go to a land that he would show him and then a land that he would give him and a land of seed and blessing. And Abram believed God and he came and he, we've seen his life. And now uh, he was 75 years old when we saw that. You would think, well, we got him toward the end of his life. No, we've seen a hundred more years pass. He's 175. Look what happened. You know, and, and we talked about this last time. That when Abram was old, Abraham was older and his wife Sarah was older, it said that, uh, that uh, they were past the age, they were past the time that they could produce children. And so in a miraculous way, God gave, gave them the son Isaac. Well, now Abraham, after Sarah has died, and she died at age 127. That means Abraham was 137 when she died. Notice the next verse. Now, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore to him Zimram and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. Now, there's a question here, and, and I did some research the best I could. And um, Did he marry this woman, Keturah, after Sarah died? Did he marry this woman before Sarah died? Didn't he already have another wife as well? Another concubine? Who was that? Huh? Hagar. So it doesn't tell us here. All it's saying is Abraham took another wife. And there is some question of whether he took this wife when he was 137, 140, whatever it was when we, when all this happens. Or was this sometime earlier, but now the writer has given us some information. We don't know. Moses wrote this down. We don't know. It says, now Abraham took another wife, his name was Keturah, and, and she bore these, these children to him. He marries a second time. Now, we don't know when this happened. If we say it happened after Sarah died, then he's over 137, maybe 140. We know that his son marries, his son marries when he's 40 years old. Isaac marries Rebekah when he's 40, which means Abraham would have been 140, which would have been three years after Sarah died. So we just don't know. But they list the sons. We list these children here. Uh, so he has these sons besides 
Isaac. But notice what it says. It goes on and says, now the sons of Midian, they list these sons there. And it says, all these were the sons of Keturah. Now, here's a statement that God wants us to know. Now, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Why? Why does he say that? What's the point? Because the, the promise goes through who? Isaac. Remember, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was a son born to, to Hagar. And if you want to get, get truthful about it, well, there's a whole bunch of sons born to Keturah and descendants. But he makes it very clear. No, no, no. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac is the one to whom the promise belongs. He's the promised son. He's the one through whom the seed would come. And it's clear that Isaac is the one. Now, look at the next verse. He says, now, but to the sons of his concubines, notice it's plural, the sons of his concubines. Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. Sent them away. So what we want to see is that the point is, even though Abraham had more than Isaac as a son, Ishmael and these others, they were never considered part of the promise. The promise is going through Isaac. So basically, if you remember, he'd already sent Ishmael away in that sense, and he sends the sons of Keturah away, sends them to the east, eastward to the land of the east. He gave them gifts. He said, you're my sons. I'm giving you gifts, but Isaac is my son. Isaac is the one that the promise comes. Didn't want any conflicts. Because there had already been conflict earlier between Isaac and Ishmael. And while Sarah was alive, she said, That son will not be around messing with my son. That son, Ishmael, will not mess with my son. So they sent him away. We don't even know when these other things happened. We assume because of the way it's written that maybe it happened after Sarah. But I, I would not necessarily assume that. Now verse 7 brings it all together. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. He was 75 years old when he left the Ur of the Chaldees. So we've been seeing his life for 100 years. Now I want you to notice how his life is described. Abraham believed, uh, breathed his last and died in a ripe old age. Yeah, I think 175 is a ripe old age. An old man and satisfied with life. And he was gathered to his people. The way that is written, that it means he has peace in his life. That the word satisfied there comes from a root that has the idea of peace. If if you go back to Genesis fifteen, fifteen, listen to this. This is what God told Abraham a long time ago. He said, As for you, Abraham, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. This is what he told him way back in Genesis fifteen. Told Abraham that and so it came to pass. That here he died, 175 years old. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age. That's the exact words that he used back over there in 15. An old man, satisfied with life, with peace, peace with life. Same thing back over in 15. And he was gathered to his people. Now, he's not talking about being buried with his own people. It means he went to where his descendants were, the, to be with, with, with the Lord, we'd put it that way. And because uh, we, we find that the only one he's going to be buried with is with Sarah. I think the idea that, he's, that, the, that Moses has given us as we look at this story is there's life after death. He went to be with those who had died before him. When you think of Abraham, we think of a man of faith. In fact, through the scripture, you get into the book of Galatians. You see the writings of Paul and Romans that Abraham over and over is a man of faith. You see the book of Hebrews over and over. By faith, Abraham did this. Paul states that all who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior are children of Abraham because Abraham was a man of faith. And whenever you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're a person of faith. Think about this man. By faith, he left the Ur, left Ur of the Chaldees to go to the promised land. By faith. Where did, did he know even where he was going? And when he left, he didn't even know where he was going, and yet he trusted God. By faith, he separated from Lot. You remember when the herds got too big, and here's Lot, his nephew? And what he could have done is said to Lot, Lot, get over there, you're bothering me. What he said was, Lot, you pick out whatever place you want to go. If you go to the right, I go to the left. You go to the left, I go to the right. And so Lot chose the very best area, which turned out to be a bad area, but it was the very best area. And what did God say to Abraham? Good job. This is all yours anyway. Don't worry about it. By faith, sent away Ishmael. Firstborn son. Firstborn son. Not the right son. Firstborn son, though. And he, by faith, he sent Ishmael away so there wouldn't be conflict with Isaac. By faith, he waited 25 years for the promised son. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. We'd say, that's 
it's kind of a long time to wait. Now, if you're 20, to wait till 45 doesn't seem to be as bad. But when you're 75, to wait till 100 seems a long time. By faith. I think one of the key events in the whole Bible offered Isaac up as a sacrifice to God. None of us in this room, I don't think, would do it. He believed God enough that he took Isaac, the promised son, the one through the seed would come, and was ready to actually kill him and burn him up, knowing that God would raise him from the dead. And I tell you, Isaac was amazing to to lay down on top of that altar and be bound there to die. We don't give Isaac enough credit there. It was amazing. A great man of faith. One of the questions that we could ask ourselves as Abraham has died and, and fixing to be buried, are we men and women of faith? Do we trust God? Faith is just taking God at His word. Do we live by the word of God? We're to know the word and to apply the word. That's the key, to live by the word of God. Romans says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We want to be men and women of faith who live by the Scripture. What's well, a sad time? Sad time to me. When I read it, I always go, good, gracious alive, Abraham's gone. We won't, we, we won't read about him anymore. I mean, there'll be some references to him, but Abraham's life is over. And unless the Lord tarries, the same will be said to every one of us in this room. There'll be a time that they'll say, that was, well, he was a good, he was a good man. He was a good man. You know, in our church, it's a, it's a young church. Age-wise, always has been. And so I've done a lot more weddings than I have funerals. But I was looking the other day. I've done like 240 weddings. But you know, I've done close to 70 funerals. That's a lot of funerals, considering we're a young church. I mean, in that sense. Abraham died. Notice verse 9. Then his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zophar, the Hittite, facing Mamre. The field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heath, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. You know, uh, Isaac and Ishmael came together. They didn't really ever get along. You know that. Ishmael didn't like Isaac. He knew that it was, didn't seem, it, just to be honest, Ishmael said, it's not fair. It's not fair. I'm the firstborn son. Uh, I should have, I should have it all because in our culture, firstborn son gets everything. But I got nothing. I mean, I got pushed aside. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I got stuff, but I didn't get the stuff. And so he and Isaac really never got along. And yet, what happens here? His sons came to bury him. The death of Abraham brings the two sons together. Death has a way of causing us to stop and think about what's really important. What's important in life? What are we here for? What should we be doing with our lives? Even in the scripture when there's a death, we should stop and think of two things. Number one is why do people die? Because of sin. Because the wages of sin is death. Every time a person dies, we should remember that man fell and that we need a savior. And the second thing is when people die, I think we should stop and say... With the time we have left, what should we do with our lives? What do we want God to do with our lives? There's a turning point here. Abraham is gone. Isaac is left. And we realize we we see in the Old Testament people really the way they are. We saw Abraham's victories, trusted God. We saw Abraham's defeats and failures. He lied. He lied and did things wrong. We'd say, I just don't think Abraham would do that. Yeah, he did it. He did it. We see how God used Abraham in his failures. And it should sure ensure, encourage us to know that God can, can and will use us even in our failures. Well, following this, we just get a very brief statement about Isaac's life. I mean, just a summary. Look at verse 11. It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. Now, I think that's the writer saying, listen, I want you to remember now, this is the key. Abraham died. Isaac's going to carry it on. Isaac lived by Beer uh, Roy. He lived down there, down in the southern part. He got blessings. Uh, the, the word there, that word means the well where God sees. And we're going to see more of this. In fact, as we get into chapter 26, there's a whole bunch about wells. And we'll see how all this ties together. Now, quickly, the writer decides that he's going to show what happens to Ishmael. And notice carefully how he is described. Verse 12. Now, these are the records 
of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Now watch. Whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. He wants us to make sure that we don't think that Ishmael is, is going to be the one. Ishmael's not the one. He says, he reminds us, just the son of an Egyptian handmaid. And then he lists, these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names and order their birth. And they begin to list them like Naboth and then Kedar and Abdul and Mishma and Duma and all these different names. If you remember, there's 12 of them. These are the names, verse 16, these are the names of Ishmael, and there are their names by their villages and by their camps, 12 princes according to their tribes. You remember there was the promise. There was the promise. Way back in chapter 17, let me just turn back there for just a second to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. In 17, verses 19 and 20, God said that, uh, God was saying, but Sarah, your wife will bear you a son and you'll call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. But as for Ishmael, this is God telling Abraham, I've heard you. I will bless him. I will make him fruitful and multiply. He will become the father of 12 princes. That's exactly what happened. Listen, everything that God says comes true. Everything that God writes down comes true. Everything that God says, every promise is true. So when he says, I give you eternal life and you'll never perish, you should never, ever say, I hope I make it. It amazes me when I talk to people and I say, what is the promise? And they say, eternal life. I say, if you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, yes. What did he give you? Eternal life. So you have eternal life and you'll be with the Lord forever. I hope so. They do not understand the promises of God sometimes. And we just want to realize that we have that. Now, look, he goes on to say this. Now, verse 17. Now, these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. Died at 137. But notice this about the people. Because do you remember, before we go and read the verse, do you remember what was promised about what kind of man Ishmael would be? He was called a what? Do you remember anybody remember? A wild what? Wild donkey of a man? That means he won't get along with people. Notice this next verse. They settled, this is his descendants, they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is in east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria, he settled in defiance of all his relatives. Defiance is the term that characterized Ishmael. That's the kind of person he was. Independent and rebellious. What a contrast to Abraham, his father. Abraham, a man of faith, trusted God. Ishmael, a man of dependence and and defiance and rebellion. Well, he's gone. And you feel, you know... I look at these people in the Bible, and, you know, I don't, I want to say, yeah, Isaac, not Ishmael, not Ishmael. But in your heart, do you feel just a little sadness for Ishmael? Well, now we move on to Isaac, verse 19. Now, these are the records of the generation of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. There he is. This is good old Isaac. As we study the book of Genesis, uh, I think sometimes Isaac's the forgotten man. Let me show you what I mean. I mean, we all know Abraham, right? Abraham, the man of faith. I mean, think of all the chapters. We go all the way back to chapter 12, all the way up to chapter 25. Abraham's the man, the man, the man, the man, the man. And then we're going to see Jacob. And and by the way, God is called the God of Jacob more than any other name in the Scripture. He's the God of Jacob. And, and Jacob dominated, and the nation of Israel is named after Jacob. He's big time. And then you got Joseph, and you say, well, Joseph, the whole end part of the book, Joseph's the one used to, to rule in Egypt and a man of character and basically save the nation. What happened to Isaac? He's got two chapters. And some have said Isaac's greatest moment was when he was offered up as the sacrifice, the picture of the Messiah. But let me tell you something about Isaac. No glamour Isaac, right? That's us. Daily doing what God had for him to do. Not being famous, but being faithful. And that's really us. Very few of us are ever famous. We might be infamous, but we're not necessarily famous. And the key of our lives is just saying, I just want to do whatever God wants me to do. I'll just go wherever he wants me to go. I'll just be faithful wherever he puts me. And my goal of life is not to be famous. It's just to be faithful. 
And when you stand before your Savior, he'll say, well done, good and faithful. That's the key. Well, look what it says. Now, these are the records of the generations of Isaac. Abraham, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian, from Padadaram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian, to be his wife. So he's 40 years old when he married Rebekah. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's a long time to wait. That's longer than me. I was 36 when I got married. 40 years old. And we saw already that great story of the of the the servant going to get the bride for Isaac. What an incredible story. And you realize that when Isaac was 40 years old, uh, Abraham was 140 years old. Abraham lived a bunch more years. He lived to be 175. He lived 35 more years, didn't he? How old was Isaac when Abraham died? Seventy-five. But notice this. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, he got married when he, how old was he? Forty. Do you know how old he was when the baby was, the babies were born? Can't tell in this passage. You have to get to the next chapter. 60 years old. Yeah, 60. They waited 20 years. You say, well, 20. Well, Abraham waited how many? 25. They waited 20. <coughs> Did you know that uh, Abraham lived to see those grandsons for 15 more years? Because he was 160 when they were born. He was 175 when he died. So they were 15 years old when he died. So Abraham not only got to see his sons, but he got to see his what? Grandsons. You think a guy who doesn't have the real kid till he's 100, you think the chances of seeing grandsons are pretty slim. But if you're going to live to 175, you got a shot at it. You know? Even if your son marries when he's 40 and doesn't have a child till he's 60. Yeah. Now notice what happened. We're going to see uh, the sovereignty of God. He's going to choose the offspring of Isaac that will carry on the covenant and the seed to carry on his plans and purposes. Now, this is not a choosing for salvation. This is a choosing for service. Because we're going to see that the two sons, what's their names? Jacob and Esau. Did this mean because he chose Jacob to carry on this that Esau wasn't ever going to be saved or couldn't be saved? It has nothing to do with salvation. Notice what happens. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why am I this way? Basically, if if everything's supposed to be okay, why is this happening? So she went to inquire of the Lord. There was a struggle. There was extreme pain. In fact, the way the Hebrew says, there was extreme pain within inside of her. Maybe she didn't realize they were twins. She, maybe she just said, you know, this baby I'm having, something, something's wrong. In fact, uh, my mother said that back in our day when we were born years and years ago, uh, they didn't have the ultrasounds, they didn't do the things. And they told my mother that, you know, she's going to have a baby. And she said, I don't think I'm going to have a baby. I think I'm going to have two babies. And they said, no, you're not going to have twins. And Mama said, well, somebody kicks here and somebody kicks here. She said, y'all may not think I'm having twins, but I think I'm having twins. And she was right. But uh, Rebecca goes in there and says, something's not right. And God says to her, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two nations. Two peoples will be separated from your body. See, it's going to be Jacob and Esau. And there's going to be descendants from Jacob, Jewish people. There's going to be descendants from Esau. We'll talk about who they are as we get a little further in there. And notice what it says. One people will be stronger than the other people. And the older will serve the younger. Who's going to be the older? Esau. Esau's going to be born first and Jacob's going to come out later. We're going to look at this next week. But when Esau comes out, do you know what the name Esau means? It, it, it means Harry. He came out all Harry. A Harry baby. Harry. And they went, Harry. <laughs> 
And what does Jacob mean? It means to grab the heel. He, as, as, as they brought out the hairy baby, the other guy's hand was grabbing his heel. Come bringing him out. And so they said, the one who sees, the one who grabs, Jacob. It really means a trickster. It means the one who trips people up because that was what it meant. It meant to, to grab somebody and make them trip and fall down, to, to trick them, to trip them up. The name Jacob is not a positive name, really. <laughs> what did God change his name to? Israel, Prince of God. We'll see how that works out. Very unusual. The older will serve the younger. The older had the privileges, but in this case, the younger is going to get the privileges. I mean, realize that these two, Jacob and Esau, twins born to Rebekah and Isaac, understand the older son. Look what he got. He got the birthright, the double portion of the priesthood. That's what the older son was supposed to get. The birthright meant that he was the one that carried on the name. The double portion is that ever how many kids you had, the oldest one got two of whatever. If there were two sons, he got two and you got one. They divided into thirds, and the oldest son got two-thirds, and the youngest son got one-third. If there were like three of them, they divided into fourths, and he got two-fourths, and everybody else got one-fourths. So the oldest son always got the double portion, and the oldest son of the family got the priesthood in the family. But what they're saying here is, guess what? Oldest son, you're not getting this. And what Esau could say is, this isn't fair. This is God's choice. I want you to hold your place for a second and turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. <clears throat> and in Romans 9, Paul is dealing with the issue of Romans 9, 10, and 11 of the nation of Israel, past, present, and future, and how God has chosen them as a people group and how he's going to use them. And look at Romans chapter 9. Uh, look at verse 10. It says, and not only this, but there was Rebecca also, whom, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had done nothing, whether good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of who works, but because of him who calls, not because of what these kids did, he said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as I have written Jacob I loved, but Esau I have hated. When you read that, love and hated, that's the Hebrew way of saying, I've chosen this one above this one. This has nothing to do with salvation. This has to do with choices and purposes and plans. Go back to Genesis. God, before they were born, chooses. I want you to see something. That God's choice choices have nothing to do with human merit or statute. Not in this. It has nothing to do with it. Jacob was not better than Esau. In fact, when we see them coming up next time, Jacob would be the guy. I mean, Esau might be the guy you like. He was an outdoorsman, and he was always out there, and he cooked good food. He knew how to do everything. I mean, he could kill animals and bring it to his father. His father, Isaac, loved Esau. Jacob was a quiet man, lived in his tents, liked to cook. And his mother loved him. There were problems in that family. Listen, there have been problems in every family we've seen so far, isn't there? So when you look at your family and say, I got problems, yeah, we got problems. Everybody got problems. All God's creatures got problems, right? God chose Jacob to carry out the plan. We are chosen in Christ to carry out the plan. God's election and plan and carrying these sons, it all ties together. Esau the older will serve Jacob the younger. The seed, the covenant, the blessing is with Jacob, not Esau, God's choice. Next time we'll see the birth of the sons. We'll see a key event in their lives which shows how one looked to the temporal and one looked to the eternal. And we'll see the contrast between Jacob and Esau. What have we seen? At the death of Abraham, the man of faith. We've seen the death of Ishmael, the man of defiance. We've seen Isaac and the birth of the sons, God's election, choosing Jacob before birth. The older will serve the younger. So let me give you some applications very quickly. Let's be men and women of faith. That's what we want to be. We want to be men and women of faith. Think of Abraham, the man of faith. He was the man who trusted God, who based his whole life around obeying God. He left her. He offered up Isaac. He was a man of faith. May we be men and women of faith. We want 
to base our lives on the Word of God. It's a real challenge to us because just as Abraham had was, was told what to do and he obeyed God, we have the Scripture, we have the Word, we're to live it out, we're to, to do that. We, we have a contrast between Abraham and, and uh, Isaac and Ishmael and, and uh, the whole contrast of their lives. One is a man of faith, Abraham. Uh, one is a man of defiance, it's Ishmael. So we want to be men and women of faith. The second thing is let's try, let's try to understand election. And what I'm trying to do with this is there, there's this is still a work in progress. We're still, I'm still looking at all the Scripture, trying to find all the things, because there are a lot of people who believe that God chooses people for salvation. I don't think he does. And I'm looking and looking, and there's still places that, and still passages that I'm still working through. But I think the best I can see is that election is God's choice for service. Not for salvation. Salvation comes by faith, and service comes by God's choices and putting us in certain positions. Think about this. He chose Israel. He chose Pharaoh. He chose Paul. He chooses us, or he chose us. Let me think about it. He chose the nation of Israel. He chose, if you just said Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and then there was Joseph, but he actually chose Judah, and he chose David, and he chose it all the way down. So there are his choices in which he is using to carry out his plan. He chose Pharaoh. The Bible tells us he raised up Pharaoh for a particular purpose. It had nothing to do with salvation. It had to do with service. He chose up Pharaoh so he might demonstrate his power. He chose Paul. Paul says even before he was born, God chose him to carry out a particular ministry. He chose us. Every one of this room, gifts, talents, and abilities, we're where we are because God has us where we are right now. Let's be faithful. He set us apart in Christ for service. It is good to know that our perfect, righteous God never makes a mistake and that He's in control. We want to be men and women of faith as we rest in our sovereign God and Savior. Well, let's pray. If you've got questions, comments, we'll, we'll deal with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the passage as we just see uh, the, the man of faith. Abraham, and we want to be men and women of faith. We want to live by the Scripture. We want to do what you have for us to do. We want to live in that way so that when we stand before you, we hear you say, well done. So, Lord, we just ask you that we would be men and women of faith. Lord, help us to begin to understand um, the choosing and the Scripture. And, Lord, we know that people believe in Jesus, believe in the Messiah. In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the coming Messiah and believing in him as Abraham believed and David believed and, and all of that. And, and Lord, we know that salvation is by faith, but we see that you choose all the time certain people and certain groups and certain ones to carry out your plans. And Lord, help us as we look through and understand election, seeing how that uh, election seems to be for service and not for salvation. And so, Lord, help us as we look through this and continue to learn and grow in these areas. Uh, most of all, Lord, thank you again for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, input, anything? Yes, let's start here and then here. Okay, well, let's, I, I, don't, well, I don't see any election at all in Ephesians 2.8.9, so that's what I'm thinking. Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you have been, through faith, been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Okay, what, if you look in the passage, by grace you're saved through faith. So, grace, faith, salvation. Grace you're saved through faith, not of work, it's, it's the gift of God. What's the gift of God? It's not faith. Yeah, yeah. Let me show you something. Let me get let me get over to Ephesians just to show you something. Uh, has someone taught you that 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 the antecedent there is faith? For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. There are people who teach that when it says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves," and they say faith is not of yourselves, and God gives you faith so you can believe. You've been taught that, or you've heard that. Not necessarily that you believe that, but that's what you're taught. In the Greek, when you look in the Bible, the word the, there's uh, grace, saved, and faith. Uh, grace is, uh, I think, uh, grace. Is, and I'm, I don't have a Greek Bible in front of me, but I'm almost for sure that it's 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 uh, feminine. See, there's masculine, feminine, neuter in Greek, and the antecedent must agree. With, with, with whether it's uh, masculine or feminine or neuter. So if you said, by grace you're saved through faith, and if faith was masculine, then the word that said, and that not of yourselves, that word would have to be masculine to match it. 
Well, the, the three antecedents back up here, grace, faith, salvation, there, I think there, uh, one is masculine and two are feminine. But the word faith, but the word that not of itself is in the neuter. It doesn't match any of them. And the writer did it that way on purpose because he's not saying by grace you're saved through faith and that faith is not of yourself. He is saying that the salvation that you've been saved by grace through faith, that's not what's of yourself. The whole section is not what of yourself. Grace, faith, saved, that's not of yourselves. It's to get to God. It's not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So that passage is not saying faith is from God. It's saying by grace you've been saved through faith is what's the gift of God, the whole thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, I've got, got R.C. Sproul teaching, and, and, and he says that that not of yourselves can refer to faith. It cannot, can never. He knows Greek is much or better than, you know Greek. It can't refer back to it. It cannot. So if anybody knows Greek, they know that that's, that is incorrect biblically and language-wise. And yet there are people out there who know better teaching it so that people will think that God gives people faith uh, in the whole reform view of election and he's going to make you believe and he's going to do that. So it's, it's really sad to see that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll get. Let me get here, and then you. Yeah. Well, a couple things of, uh, with Keturah. Uh, would they have referred to her as a concubine whenever it says Abraham took another wife? I think they would. In that culture, that she. In fact, you remember that, at, that there's a place where uh, Hagar's called his wife, and yet she's also called his, the slave and the concubine. So sometimes concubines were called wives. And basically what a concubine was a wife slave. And so in one sense he could say wife slave. Well, normally, to be honest with you, they didn't list women in the genealogies. So, right. They might could, but normally they didn't list women in the genealogy unless for a very particular reason. And that's why in the Matthew genealogy of Jesus Christ, and they list women, that was unusual. But he did it on purpose to show who they who they were and how they fit into the genealogy. To show that the promises of God, which he said he would have twelve sons, to show there they are. Okay. Yeah, because God says I I promised back a long time ago that this would happen, and so I just. We want to see the fulfillment. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it almost appears that he's reading the part where he says, and may God bless me also and go worship your God. But it's not very long that he says, what was I doing? I'm going after those people and I'm bringing them right back here. I don't know why I must have lost my mind. Yeah, I think you see Pharaoh over and over does the same thing. The plague comes. 
He says, okay, 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 you can go. And then as soon as the plague stops, he says, no, you can't go. And on this one, he lets them go finally. And then he says, I've lost my mind. Why am I letting these people go? I'm going to go catch them and kill them all, bring them all back, do all this. So I don't know. I don't know whether, you know, there's no way to know what Pharaoh really believed. Cursed be the Canaan, Ham's, Ham's, yeah, the Canaanites. Right, and we we have we don't know what individual Canaanites ever believed or not. I mean, so you can't. You, I just you know, the more I'm studying it, I, I have a hard time finding where it says chose this person for salvation. I see chose this person for particular things, and you're exactly right when you say that all people. In a sense, we come into this world with a purpose. Each one of us is unique, and God has us for such a time as this, wherever we are. But you'll see in the Scripture certain things. Yeah, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, Saul was a very zealous person. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that had something to do with what our gifts are, our, our service might be? Or does God make those people that way? I think that, you know, God does, God shapes you, as, as Psalm 139 says, every human being he forms in the mother's womb and shapes us and we're fearfully, wonderfully made. And that includes personalities and everything else. Now, in every personality, there's strengths and weaknesses for everything. And you got a Paul who'll be willing to wipe out everybody. And at the same time, you got a Paul who loves everybody as he changes his, how he looks at life. And you see Esau one way. And I mean, Esau's sitting there and he says, uh, uh, I'm so hungry, I don't even care about my birthright. I got to have some food right now. I got to eat right now that's the kind of, he was just a temporary type guy so i think god takes and raises up people and uses people based off their gifts talents and abilities personalities everything he uses it all for his glory so i think you're right yeah yes i'm sorry look it looks like before the flood they did yeah Pretty long. Yeah. Now, I think you're right. What you seem, seem to see is before the flood and it seemed to be the canopy and everything, people lived 800, 900 years. And then the first generation after the flood was 300 and something years, and then it began to get down. And then, like Abraham is 175, and then uh, uh, was it, uh, uh, Ishmael was 137, and 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 you see some other Moses 120, uh, but and but Moses was considered older. I mean, when he went to see, you know, that and when when uh, Abraham when Joseph brought. You know, Jacob up there, Jacob was an old man, and he said, I'm an old man. And Pharaoh said, yeah, you're an old man. So it, 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 by, it seems by the time we get into the patriarchs that 100, 150 is really old. You know, it's getting to be older. And, and, and then as the years go by, you see that it gets, you know, less and less and less and less and less. And diseases and everything else comes into the world more and more and more. So I, it, it just seems to be that after the flood, lifespans begin to shorten until even recently. You know, when you look back in the 1800s, uh, I think lifespan uh, uh, in America was, what, uh, 50-something? was the, the And now it's uh, almost you know 78 for women, I think, and 74 or something for men or something. But it is increasing because of what we've been able to do with technology and, and things. That I don't know if we're living that much better. We're just living longer. But we're not... I'm not sure we can tell exactly how many because we don't have, you know, from Noah to Abraham, it talks about them coming and then, then the division of the land and everything, the division of the people. But we don't. it doesn't say, and it just basically gets to chapter 12 and says, now 
God chose this man and told him to leave there of the Chaldees. So we don't know very much. If you take generations, Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob to Joseph, Joseph to Moses, four generations, the promise to Abraham that his people would be slaves. But after four generations, they would come back to the land, and that's exactly what happened, four generations, if you counted Abraham to Isaac, Jacob to Moses. It's more than that in a sense because they were slaves for 400 years. But you see a fourth generation of, of how, it, how it functioned that way. Okay. I don't know if there's any significance to that. When you look at that, it's the same thing that we see over and over. Before you have written revelation, before you have the 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 tabernacle built, you you see God, you know, like it'll say, and God said to Abraham. And we'll say, wait a minute, how did God say that to Abraham? Did God just show up? Did I mean, was it just a voice or was there some appearance? It doesn't even tell us. It says she went to inquire. Did did was there a place that they went to inquire? Was there a place that they offered their sacrifices? Because they still offered a sacrifice from Adam and Eve on. People offered sacrifices on a weekly basis. At the end of the days, they offered their sacrifices as offerings to God. So you know that they did that, whether they were under a sacrificial system in the way that you get under the Mosaic Law. Uh, so maybe there was a place that she went to inquire of the Lord. Or maybe it just meant that she went off by herself and said, Lord, what is going on here? We just don't know. There's a lot of things that we don't have all the information on. What? Yeah. The best that I can see is the first that you actually see of that where it's, uh, it's under the Mosaic Law where it's written down. Okay. Yeah. That's why I was wondering is because I, I think that probably has a lot to do with the, the lessening of the longevity, you know, kind of the, uh, uh, the tainting of the, the bloodline. Yeah, I, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah. yeah. Well, that ought to do it. With the old bloodline tainting, we ought to probably end with that one. Heavenly Father, thanks for a great night. Thanks for these great stories from your word that help us, help us to make application. We ask this in Jesus' name.